Joshua chapter 3. In the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you'll know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And down to verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the ark reach the Jordan and their feet, feet touch the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowed down to the, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arab, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. You've already been asked the question, I believe. Um, do you ever look at Christmas as being a new start? Down through the centuries, God has given mankind, God has given the world new starts. God through Noah and his family and the flood gave the world a new start. Moses, as he led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, gave those people a new start. Forty years after that, Joshua led the Israelites to another new start as they entered the promised land. Many years later, God sent Jesus to give the world a new start. And with the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, mankind entered into a new life, a new freedom. So in many ways, as we celebrate Christmas, in the life of Jesus, we celebrate a new start. This morning, I want to share with you a piece of God's great creation that gave many, many people a new start. And that is the Jordan River. You may just bear with me for a couple of minutes as I give you a geography lesson. The Jordan River is about 250 kilometres long. 
reasonably straight by river standards we know. It starts up in Mount Hermon, runs down to the Sea of Galilee, then runs down to the Dead Sea, which by the way is 430 metres below sea level, 13 to 1400 feet below sea level, the lowest place on earth and nine times saltier than the sea. The word Jordan means descent. Rather fitting, isn't it? Yeah. It's a reasonably short river, and if I may put it into more local terms for you, if you can imagine the Jordan River starting at Forbes, coming down to Marsden, just north of West Wylong, that's where the Sea of Galilee would be, then flowing down to Wagga, where the Dead Sea would be. The Jordan River is mentioned no less than 180 times in the Bible. And it's rated the third most holy site by the Israelites. Bethlehem being number one, Golgotha number two, and the Jordan River number three. Many miraculous things happened on and around the Jordan River. And many people were given a new start. Lot, a man called Lot, he was Abraham's nephew. He was given the choice by Abraham to take any block of land he wished to have. And Lot chose a block on the fertile flats of the Jordan River giving him a new start. A leper by the name of Naaman was told by Elisha if he bathed in the waters of the Jordan River seven times, he would be healed. At first, Naaman was not very impressed. As a matter of fact, he was quite angry because he believed that he Elisha should have been able to heal him on the spot. But eventually he did bathe in the waters seven times and he was healed and had a new start in life. Many miracles happened on the River Jordan. There's a lovely story told about, about Elisha and his friend. They were cutting down trees to construct some building on the banks of the Jordan River. Unfortunately, the axe head came off the axe, flew into the water, into the depths of the Jordan River. His friend was very upset because he had borrowed that axe from another friend. Elisha then picked up a stick and threw it into the Jordan River. And where that stick hit the water, the axe head came floating to the top. I find that quite amazing, really, because axe heads are not the most floatable item, are they, really? Other miracles. Elijah parted the waters of the Jordan River, and he and Elisha went across. Soon after that, Elijah was taken up into heaven.
Soon after that, Elisha parted the waters of the Jordan River and crossed over. Joshua, through the power of God, of course, parted the waters of the Jordan River. It was a gateway to the promised land for the Israelites. It was a new start for them. And we will talk more about that later on. John the Baptist baptized many people in the River Jordan. John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the River Jordan, which was really the start of his ministry. The disciples baptized many people in the River Jordan. A truly great and significant landmark. During my preparation for comments about the baptisms, a question came to me and I have not yet received an answer and I'm going to ask the congregation this morning. Did Jesus ever baptise anyone in the River Jordan? Did Jesus ever baptise anyone with water? Tell me later on, please. I'll be much wiser. Going back to when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness, at first they were honouring and worshipping God for the new start they had in life. But then slowly but surely they drifted away from God's rules and God's ideals. And after 40 years, God spoke to Joshua and said, prepare the people for entry into the promised land. God told Joshua there are three steps the people must follow. Firstly, Joshua told them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow God will do amazing things among you. They had to consecrate themselves, cleanse themselves, make themselves holy, get rid of burdens, and set themselves apart from this world. The second thing they had to do was to be patient and follow instructions. How often do we mar chances of success by being impatient and not following instructions? I'm as guilty as anyone. We start something, we think we have it under control, we're going well, we do it our way from there on. I remember some years ago, we bought, Helen and I bought a TV cabinet, came flat packed. Um, Helen was going away for the weekend, three or four days, and uh, I'll tackle this thing, looks pretty easy. And the book, the book said, could take you three or four hours. Um, and it's pretty simple, really, you know. Walls, back, front, you know, glass. 
Three days later, I was still going because I didn't follow the instructions. I did it the way I thought it should be done. And so often that's the case. We do not follow the instructions, we become too impatient. There's a true story told about a young man who wanted to climb Mount Blank. It's a very high summit in the European Alps, some 16,000 feet, twice the height of our Mount Kosciuszko. And this young man was so fortunate this time that he was given the help or the opportunity to work with a guide, one of the best climbing guides available at the time. And after much hard work, struggling, muscle stretching, they finally made it to the summit. And he was so excited and so pleased with what he had done. On the way down, he thought he'd hurry things up a bit. So he unclipped the rope that connected him to the guide, to the leader. Soon after that, he stepped into some soft snow, lost his footing and slipped over the precipice to his death. What did he do wrong? What was his problem? Quite simple. He was no longer fastened to the guide. Think how foolish it would have been for any one of these Israelites to try and cross that river on their own into the, into the new land. But no, they were patient <clears throat> and they followed God's instructions. And by doing so and doing it as a group, they were able to cross successfully. And the third thing <clears throat> that the Lord required of these people was that they must have total faith, total hope and trust in him and total obedience. These were the three main instructions that God gave Joshua for these people. To consecrate themselves, to have patience and to have total faith and trust. And as we approach Christmas and New Year, I think we'd all do well to apply these three characteristics to our lives. To consecrate ourselves, to be patient, and to have total faith and trust. I feel we need to apply these things to our lives if we are going to follow and obey God's rules and God's plan. Joshua knew that the task ahead of him was too big and too difficult for him on his own but he had total faith and trust in God. God told Joshua to assemble the people and for the priests to go ahead carrying the Ark of the Covenant and for the people to remain behind at least one kilometre. And when the priest put his foot in the water of the River Jordan, the waters parted. And as what Cole read this morning, they parted and the Bible tells us the water piled up 15 kilometers back. Now piled up is not a word we use 
there's water building up, isn't it? It's just that it piled up 15 k's back. On the other side, flowing down to the Dead Sea, it just stopped running. A big enough miracle on its own, I believe, a massive miracle. But for the land to be dry after that makes it even more amazing. Imagine, imagine how these Israelites felt. They're about to leave behind their problems, their concerns, their fears, their wrongs, their burdens, about to leave behind their hurts and their shame. And they're about to enter into a new life, a new start, a new freedom, a new peace. Mankind has always been looking for peace, and he still is. Unfortunately, on many occasions, mankind is looking in the wrong place, the wrong places to find that peace. Some of you may have heard about the Camino Walk. Some of you may have seen the video, the DVD, The Way. It's a cross-country walk through farms and towns, often on stony tracks, up and down hills, and it ends up in San Diego in Spain. It's a walk taken by the pilgrims many, many centuries ago. You can start this walk in Portugal if you wish. That's about a 110k walk. You can start at several spots in Spain, a bit longer, or you can even start in France, where it is a 2,000k walk. It's a very lonely walk, difficult at times, and many do it, trying to unload something from the past. Many of them carry a small stone with them from their home, representing the burden that they are carrying. And just and when they arrive at San Diego, just outside the, the city, there's a big cross, a massive cross. And they throw this stone at the foot of the cross. And there's a mountain of stones there as well. And as they do that, it gives the walk, walker a feeling of release a feeling of unloading. I have a lovely cousin, Lynn. She's some eight years younger than I am. She's a Christian lady. I hope one day you might have the privilege of meeting her. And she acknowledges that God has been with her every step of the way since she lost her husband some seven years ago. And when I asked her why she wanted to do something like this, and she did plan to do it last year, this walk, uh, but it was called off because of COVID, and I guess she'll try again in 2021. But when I asked her why she wanted to do it, she said, I feel I need to do something of a practical nature to lighten the burden. It made me think, <clears throat> about God making the Israelites doing things before they entered the promised land. He could quite easily have said one morning, 
Okay, folks, today's the day. We're going to cross the river. I'll part the waters for you. Follow me. Could have been made as easily as that. But no, he made them do certain things in obedience to him. And when I look at the story of the Israelites overall, I see many similarities between the Israelites and Australia. Look at Australia some 200 years ago, 200 odd years ago, a young nation, many opportunities, freedom, a new start. New towns were being built and as they built the towns, churches were, were erected. It was a Christian country, but slowly, like the Israelites, Australia has slipped away from that Christian way of life. Australia today, worshipping new and self-selected gods. Australia today, changing God's rules to suit itself. At this point, I'd like to move the story of the crossing of the Jordan River up into the 21st century. I believe in this 21st century, in 2021, Australia needs to stand on the banks of its River Jordan. It needs to unload the past, refocus, and cross the river, Jordan, and make a new start with Jesus as its leader. Even in churches and Christian communities, I believe there are many who need to stand on the banks of their river, Jordan, and un unload the experiences of the past. <clears throat> and maybe there are some here this morning who are carrying a burden. Maybe the burden you are carrying is one of a past sin. Even though forgiven, it's still somewhat of a burden to you. Maybe the burden you're carrying is one of a family dispute or disruption. Maybe the burden you are carrying is a hurt from the past. Maybe your burden is a bad experience Maybe your burden is one of a health nature. Maybe your burden is a problem within the church. Maybe your burden is of a, of a financial nature.
Maybe it's someone that you have not forgiven. If you are carrying a burden today, I urge you to stand on the banks of your River Jordan, unload, let go, and release your worries and your concerns. And leave it all in the wilderness behind you. And look across to the promised land where Jesus is waiting for you with outstretched arms saying, come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying, I have prepared the way for you. The waters are parted. The ground is dry. The time is right. Jesus is saying, come into a life with me. A life of peace, of love, a life of forgiveness, a life of acceptance, a life of harmony, and a life that knows no end. Regardless <clears throat> as to whether you are a team, a committee, a church, or an individual. You cannot perform to your best if you are carrying a burden. Satan loves to see Christians and churches weighed down with burdens because he knows that when, when people are weighed down and concerned about their burdens. The good news of Jesus is being restricted. It's being slowed down. Satan loves putting the brakes on the message of the cross spreading around this world. Let me ask you a question. Do you drive your car around with the handbrake on? I hope not. So why, why do so many of us live our lives with the handbrake partly on? Today, this Christmas, if you feel you're carrying a burden, I urge you to cross your River Jordan and lay your burdens at the feet of Jesus. And as you do this, I pray that the words of the fourth verse of our last hymn will ring true to you. My chains fell off, my heart was free. May God's peace be with you all this Christmas and into 2021. Amen.